And if you are here, we can, if you've got your Bibles with you, I'd encourage you to open them up to the book of James. We're going to be continuing in the book of James this morning. While they're getting settled, let's, uh, let's just, again, pray. Father, I just thank you for your word and that it's true always, forever, all places, all people, all time. God, that we can trust it. Lord, I pray this morning as we look into the book of James that you would speak to us clearly, release greater grace in our lives to be obedient to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm going to start with a a little story. It's a true story. It actually took place at 529.45 on July 16th, 1945. And you know it's pretty significant when history records the time to the exact second. 529.45. In northern New Mexico, it was a still dark morning at 5.30 in the morning and suddenly the sky lit up. It was as bright or maybe even brighter than the sun. In one flash, one moment, the atomic age began. The moment that the explosion, the the flames, the fireball went upwards into the sky at over 360 feet per second. First it was a pulsating orange in color, then it got to be a red in color, then it turned into a dark red and ultimately billowing black cloud that we're familiar with nowadays, that mushroom cloud of an explosion of an atomic bomb. 21 days later, 21 days later is all, that bomb was dropped on Hiroshima, Japan. And it was dropped from what was called... um, what do they call those big planes? B-29, Super Fortress Bomber. They named it the Enola Gay, the, the crew. And when they dropped that bomb and when it exploded, a couple of the words that are written down in history were from the co-pilot. When he saw the explosion, all he said was, What have we done? What have we done? About six years later, on December 20th in 1951, Another spectacular thing took place, and of all places, a place I'm sure most of you have never heard of, Arco, Idaho. And once again, the dark sky was lit up. It wasn't near as bright as it was back in that northern New Mexico event, but this time it was the light bulbs being lit up, the first nuclear reactor, nuclear energy, was being released and now they say over 20, 20%, over a fifth of our energy in this country comes from nuclear energy. And an interesting thing is, it's the same element, uranium, that's used in the nuclear reactor and the atomic bomb. It's the same science that's taking place. It's the same atoms, the same electrons. It's the same reaction It's the same physics. Everything's the same, but the outcome is totally different. Why is it so different? Because of the way it's being used and the way it's being controlled. And what we're going to be looking at today is something that you might want to debate with me, but I believe James is telling us that there is a weapon that's more powerful than that atomic bomb, than that nuclear weapon. The destruction that it could 
wreak on the world is even small in comparison to the destruction that can be caused by this other weapon. In our text today, this powerful object he talks about, if you can picture this, it's almost as if God sees it as so powerful that he imprisons it behind a double jailer. Your lips and your teeth. And that weapon is our tongue. I hate chapter 3 of the book of James. It convicts me and makes me feel like the most immature of Christians. But it's truth. So in that sense, I love the third chapter of the book of James. This is one of the more convicting sermons in my own life that I've prepared in a long time. Controlling our tongue. The title of the message is simply The Tongue Test. You know, James, the theme of James as we started talking about the book of James was talking about becoming a mature Christian. Talking to us about holy living. And he has laid out some tests for us. Last week we talked about works. Works without, faith without works is dead. Dead works. That test, the test of works. And he's continuing right on into another test. And this test is the test of the tongue. And when I call it a test, it's a test for us to evaluate our maturity in Christ. You know, we should be continually being transformed down that path towards Christ-likeness. We realize it's a journey that's never going to end until the day we go home to be with the Lord or Jesus comes back. But we should be moving forward down that path. And this test is one that I think, that, I'm, that I know, challenges every single one of us. The tongue. The tongue is capable of some of the most destructive things you can imagine at every level. Words that slip off our tongue that have destroyed marriages, alienated families, children, brothers, and sisters from words that have been spoken. Wars have been started by the words of a man's tongue. The way the words of our tongue are used, it's not just what the words are, it's the way it's used, the way it's used to control and to manipulate people, nations, that can lead to unbelievable destruction. The problem with the tongue isn't where it's physically located behind those lips and behind those teeth. The problem with the the tongue has more to do with our spiritual anatomy than our physical anatomy. Spiritually, our tongue is connected to our heart. And that's the revealing thing about the words that come off our tongue. In Matthew 12, verse 34, Jesus here is rebuking the Pharisees and He says these words, For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they will give an accounting for in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now that word justified there, we talked about this last week. It has at least two, probably at least three meanings in the Greek. One is that justification that we talk about in terms of salvation. 
And the second definition of justified was it is the evidence or the proof that we see of us being saved. And we talked about how those good works justify in that sense. And here are the words that we come with off of our tongue justify us. James mentions the tongue in all five chapters of his letter. And he takes this whole chapter, basically, to talk about the tongue. He realized that the tongue was something that none of us really liked that much. The tongue's a tattletale. How many of you like a tattletale? Not much. The tongue is a tattletale in in the sense that it tells anybody who's listening what's in our heart. That's convicting. The words that come off our lips, come off our tongue, revealing the heart. Listen to some of these words, and I'm just going to read these, and these are just some of the words used in the Bible to describe the tongue. The tongue is wicked, deceitful, perverse, filthy, corrupt, flattering, slanderous, gossiping, blasphemous, foolish, boasting, complaining, cursing, contentious, sensual, and vile. And that's just a few. The tongue. It has great, great power. Proverbs 18.21 says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Isn't that amazing? This little few-ounce piece of flesh that we have in our mouth is talked about this way throughout Scripture. The tongue. The power of the tongue. What we're going to look at are six principles that I believe James shows us in the first 12 verses of chapter 3 of his letter. First one is this. The tongue tests our teachers. And before you say, boy, thank goodness I'm not a teacher, let me finish. Verse 1 says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brothers, because knowing that as a teacher, as such, you will incur a stricter judgment. Now, that certainly does refer to biblical teachers as James is talking to his Jewish hearers. This has been one of those verses that's uh, put the fear of the Lord in me since the day the Lord called me to be a pastor. In the midst of all my insecurities, I may have grabbed this one for all the wrong reasons out of fear and insecurity, but it's been like a a blanket to keep me comfortable knowing that I'm going to stay as close to the Word as I know how to do. I'm going to let you know when it's my opinion as often as I can. I'm going to let you know when it comes from another source that's not the Scriptures. Because I don't want to make a mistake. But I will, and I have, and I've made lots of them. But I'm telling you all this so you know it's part of it's your responsibility. You're supposed to check everything out I say. But before, but before we, we just blame the teacher, we need to realize every single one of you in here are a teacher. All of us have been taught by numerous teachers and you are teaching people. Start in your home. Start with your children. Start with your families. We are all teachers. And what we're supposed to be teaching is godliness. Christ-likeness. What we are to teach should draw people to Christ. Not condemn them. Not hurt them. We are all teachers. 
So this verse in my mind applies to everyone. Granted, I think it's clear from the meeting, the greater influence you have over those you might be teaching, the greater and the stricter the judgment is going to be. So we need to guard ourselves. And this is a test, this test of the tongue on our teachers. We need to be careful of the words we say. You've all seen and heard or probably seen cartoons where the children, I watched a short video clip yesterday uh, or Friday, and it was little kids following their mom or dad around, and the, the mom and dad were saying all the wrong things, doing all the wrong things, and their little children right there doing the same thing. It was dramatized to show us the influence that we have as teachers, especially with our children. The tongue test for teachers. The second one is the tongue measures our maturity. In verse 2, it says, For we all stumble. And I like it that James used the word we, because that means him too. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect or mature man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Verse 3, Now if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they may obey us, we direct their entire body as well. When I look at verse 2, we all stumble. We all stumble in many ways. And I think in general that's absolutely true, but James is still specifically talking about the tongue. Just think of the many, many ways we sin using our tongue. We all stumble in many ways. And James is warning us and informing us of that truth. And then he goes on and says, you know what, if we can control our tongue, in other words, it almost seems to me like he's saying, this is the hardest thing you're going to ever do. Control your tongue. He says, because if you can master that tongue, you are a mature Christian and everything else will fall into place. But we do all stumble and we're going to continue to stumble. But nonetheless, we should always be striving to control this beast in our mouth. We can bring about the most tragic of results or we can do unbelievable good with how we use that tongue. A couple more scriptures. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 3, it says, The one who guards his mouth preserves his life. The one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Psalms 39, 1 says, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth as with a muzzle while all the wicked are in my presence. Only the spiritually mature can control their tongue. It's an evidence, another evidence of God's grace in the life of a Christian. The tongue reveals an awful lot. You know, when you go to the doctor, isn't it kind of funny? You can go in there with a broken foot and one of the first things they ask you to do is open your mouth and shine a light in there and put a stick in there. I don't know, they still use that stick? You're like, what are you doing? It's my foot. Even in the natural, the tongue can reveal physical ailments by the texture, the coating, the color of the tongue. The doctors get a heads up right away. 
There's a great quote. It's a Justin Martyr's quote. An ancient church father and apologist. He wrote this, By examining the tongue of a patient, physicians find out the diseases. The philosophers find out the diseases of the mind, but Christians find out the diseases of the soul. The tongue really is a test of our maturity as Christians. Third principle. It determines our direction. I read verse 3, but I'm going to read verse 3 and 4. It says, Now if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they must obey us, we direct our entire, their entire body as well. And behold, the ships also, they, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder. Wherever the inclination of the pilot desires, that's where they go. And then it tells us, so is the tongue, such a small organ, and yet it can direct our lives. The tongue, third principle, determines our direction. He uses that imagery of things that we can see. I, you know, I always think of that great big horse with that little four-inch bit, and you put a little six-year-old girl on top of that horse's back, and they can control it. Amazing. I looked online at some of those unbelievably large, thousand-foot-long ships. And when I read about the rudder, I was astounded how big they were until you compared it to the size of the ship. Some of those rudders are hundreds of thousands of pounds. Some of them are 70 feet tall, 30 feet wide. But when you compare it to the size of the ship, it's not very much. And James is using that picture for us to show us it doesn't take much for the tongue to determine the direction of the, our entire lives. Our lives are all going to go in a direction. It's inevitable. They're going to go one way or another. Good or evil, the tongue will be a determining factor. The right word or the wrong word will help determine the direction of our lives. I was trying to think of some examples of that because that sounds like an awfully big statement. A word or two will change the direction of my life. What came to my mind instantly is in the political world. Some of these politicians, all this power, all this authority, controlling unbelievable departments, and they get caught saying the wrong word or two at a public event. And their career is totally changed or destroyed. Presidential candidates that have had to withdraw from running for election because they said the wrong words. Directions of their lives change forever. It happens to all of us. We can say the wrong thing. We can even say the right thing at the wrong time. And it changes the direction of a life. And all the counseling I do, it's amazing how many times marriages are in complete turmoil because of a few small words that were strung together in a moment of anger. No control. It's amazing when you talk to families in the midst of, of events like funerals. I was visiting with one person this morning, and what you hear about is all of a sudden there's a breaking apart of the family because of words that are being said thoughtlessly. Lives change forever. The tongue determines our direction. Fourth principle. It inflames our sin. And there's a couple verses here that you could spend a lot of time studying, especially verse 6. Verse 5b, the last part of verse 5 says, Behold how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire, a spark. 
And once again, our tongue is being compared to that spark and the flame, the forest fire that we can start with it. But listen to verse 6. If you've got your Bibles, whatever translation, it's a, it's a thought-provoking verse. It says this, And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body. The entire course. And listen to this part. And sets on fire the course of our life and it is set on fire by hell. Boy, you could spend some time breaking that verse apart. We're not going to spend too much time, but I want us to look at just a few things. It's a world of iniquity, a world of unrighteousness. You maybe heard of a particular cosmopolitan area, maybe New York City, and you say, there, there it is, in that one city, there's a picture of the entire world, all the people from all, the wor- all over the world, all the cultures, etc. What he's saying here is, your tongue is a picture of all the sin there is. A world of iniquity. And it defiles the whole body, inside and out, this fire. It sets on fire the course of our life. Our tongue sets on fire the course of our life. And it defiles us inside and out. Destroys our life inside and out. And the last part of that verse it's part of the verse I really spent probably the most of the time meditating on. It says, it's set on fire by hell. The word is Gehenna. And Gehenna was a valley. It was actually the Valley of Anon. And outside the city walls of ancient Jerusalem. And you may have heard about this place called Gehenna. But it was a wretched place. It was a place where they would actually, pagan religions historically, historians tell us that the pagans would actually do child sacrifices in this valley. The valley we look at on that slide is this beautiful valley. Imagine this valley, a place where child sacrifice is taking place. It's a place where the garbage would be thrown. It was the place that the bodies of dead animals would be thrown. It was the place that the bodies of dead criminals would be thrown just to rot and decay and burn. It says, historians would say that the fire never went out. This place called Gehenna. The picture used in the scripture, the word is used as as a picture of hell. Maggots everywhere. Decay, rot. It's an ugly picture. And the word has become, and I believe this is how it's used in this verse, it's a, it's a synonym for Satan and demons. And if you look at it that way, and if you think I might be right, now read it this way, it goes like this. And our tongue is set on fire by the devil and his demons. If we make our tongue available, Satan will use it to wreak havoc in the lives of people. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And oftentimes, the weapon he uses is between our teeth. It's our tongue. Just think how many times you have been hurt by someone else's tongue. 
Remember that ridiculous little limerick that we knew as we were kids? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. What garbage. What a lie. The words will hurt you way worse than those sticks and stones. We need to guard our lips so that they do not, our tongue does not become a weapon in the hands of the enemy. It inflames our sin. Number five, it reveals our rebellion. Verse seven. For every species of beast and birds, of reptiles, creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. It's almost like he's quoting Genesis when the Lord says, I'm going to give you dominion over. And then he says, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. No one can tame the tongue. But God can. And that's why this is such a test of our Christian maturity. Who's going to be in control of our tongue? Are we going to submit our tongue to the leading of the Holy Spirit? Or are we going to try to tame it in our own strength, by our own spirit? It's a waste of time. James tells us no one can tame the tongue. Of all the beasts out there, there's no beast as hard to tame as the human tongue. Untamable. In Psalms 140, verse 3, it says this in regard to evil men. They sharpen their tongues as a serpent, and the poison of a viper is under their lips. Rebellion. This unruly tongue. And the last principle I want to look at this morning is how the tongue compromises or totally destroys our testimony. And again, he uses such common, easy-to-understand pictures for us to grab this spiritual truth. He says, With our tongue, we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes both blessing and cursing. And he says, brothers, this ought not be in the strongest way possible. Does a fountain send forth, send from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? And can a fig tree, my brothers, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Neither can salt water produce fresh water. This tongue of ours is like a Jekyll and Hyde, isn't it? We can, we can stand and we can sing praises and worship God with our lips, with our tongue. We can say all these wonderful things and the service ends and we get together in a little group and we start cutting somebody to shreds with that same tongue. Becoming a major offense and a major stumbling block. We can come into our gathering like this and love one another and say all the right things and get in the car and start screaming at our kids and calling our wife names. Or she could be calling us names with our tongue. A Jekyll and a Hyde thing. And James is saying, this should not be in the life of a Christian. And the more mature we get as a Christian, there should be less and less and less of this. His bottom line in those few verses was bad things don't produce good things and good things don't produce bad things. 
As I said, it's just so convicting to me that whatever comes out of my mouth is revealing my heart. There's lots of rotten things that come out of my mouth. Critical things. Sarcastic things. Sadly, most of you have heard some of them. My kids and my wife more than the rest of you. And God is saying through James, this ought not be if we're going to be mature in Christ and our life is going to be a testimony and witness to the grace and power of God. No one can tame the tongue, but God can. And he will as we cooperate with his spirit. He gave us an example in Christ and just a couple more scriptures and we're closing. In 1 Peter 2, verse 21 through 25, It says this, For you have been called for this purpose. It's talking about our Christian life. It says, You've been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps. He who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in His mouth. Isn't that amazing that in that Scripture that's what they mention? No deceit was found in his mouth. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Jesus kept trusting in him to guide his mouth. No deceit came out of his mouth. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your soul. Remember, James is talking about maturing in Christ, being a good witness, living a holy life. How do we do that? How do we do that? Verse 429 out of Ephesians says this. Very practical. Let no wholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment and it will give grace to those who hear it. Wholesome words build up. You know, we are called the temple of God. As we build up and edify others, it's like we're almost laying in some stones in that wonderful temple, helping them to become all that God intends them to be. Wholesome words are timely. He said they're at the need of the moment. Just as the right words at the wrong time can bring destruction, the right words at the right time can bring all kinds of healing, encouragement, building in the people's lives. We need discernment to know if, what, when to speak. Sometimes some of the most powerful words are the ones I didn't speak. They just stayed behind that prism of my teeth and lips. We need to know. We need to discern. And then the wholesome words provide grace. Now, I know that means, you know, it's, there's a generosity to our words. There's accommodating to our words. But I think it could go deeper than that in the meaning here. Grace is also a power given to us by God to do His will. And I would like to think that maybe the words you and I use to build up and edify, given at the right time, help release that grace from God into the life of that person. It's His grace. But we can have an impact.
and close with real practical. How do we do this? How many of you can remember the word think? Think. Simple acronym. Think. Okay? Think about what? Before you open your mouth, before you start rattling your teeth, think. Is it true? Don't stop there. You're going to get yourself in trouble. We can mess up with truth big time. Expert here. H, is it helpful? And I would like to even add, is it loving? I, is it inspiring? N, is it necessary? And K, is it kind? Man, would I avoid a lot of issues in my life if I would think in that way. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? And is it kind? So James Lowe, he is very bold and he's very blunt and he's very pointed in his teaching. He teaches us things that I believe show again and again the need that you and I have for Jesus. The need that you and I have to allow the Holy Spirit to rule our life. The need that, that we have to realize, I am a wretched man and there is nothing good in my heart without Christ. And we can confess those things that we've said or done and know we're right with Him. Sometimes we might have to go confess them to others to be right with them. Let's close in prayer. Lord, again, I just pray that the words I've shared this morning bring life. No guilt, no condemnation, but bring life. Your Word is a living Word. Lord, I pray that You would help us by Your Holy Spirit to be much more sensitive and aware and discerning of the words that come off our tongues. Let us heed the warnings of James and in so many other places in Your Word that our, our tongue would be a weapon for the kingdom of God, building up, edifying, encouraging, strengthening, and it would be secure from being used by the enemy, Satan. Lord, I pray that we would be a church, we would be a people, and we would be your children who would mature in our faith, pass the test of the tongue, and bring glory and honor to you. In your Son's name we pray. Amen.